Thanks, Tom. Um, as Christians, uh, we believe that what we're about to do together um, at this time is, is more than just our weekly ritual. It's more than just Christian tradition. It's more than just what we do with our families when we believe in Jesus. We believe that um, in this next hour that what we are called to do is come together as the family of God to encounter the living God. And I, I hope that your heart is ready not to simply go through the motions, but to hear from him, to look upon him, to proclaim truths about him. And we will start that um, by reading this story that we find in Acts 5, starting in verse 12. This is our text today. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. 
For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So my title this morning is The Unstoppable Mission of God. And when we talk about the mission of God, there is a natural tendency for us to think about location. Where is that mission? Where is that mission taking place? And so we'll conclude our service here, and then you will all go. I know a church that actually had this kind of on the, on the doorway as they were leaving. You are now entering the mission field. As a reminder that here we are worshiping God and then we go out. And as we go out, we enter into the mission field because the mission field is out there. Out there is where people need healing and where people need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. That's where the mission is. And yet I just can't help but believe that the mission is also in here, literally, like in this young man. Like the mission that God is doing is actually like changing his heart it's changing her heart that it's so easy for us to find a location for the mission to be that is somewhere other than right here inside of me and inside of you so when we talk about the unstoppable mission of God I get that people have to have a location in which to live but where is this unstoppable mission And what the Bible teaches consistently is that God's unstoppable mission is that there are going to be individuals and then collections, groups of individuals who are going to hear the truth about Jesus and then respond. And that is called the church. That is called the kingdom of God. So in a sense, this morning, you and I, as we gather right now, right here, in this place, in this location, are proof that no matter what anybody says, who would dare oppose God, in fact, he will have his way. Is that not amazing? I know you thought your car brought you here this morning. I thought, you know, it was your mom that helped you get ready. But it was God that orchestrated all of this. And so we have an opportunity this morning to engage this word and to be instructed how Luke records this particular event where the people of God are continuing to wrestle with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be involved in his mission? And where is that mission and and what we constantly see? And this is not a, a new idea. This idea that that the mission of God or the purpose of God, we might want to call it the church, we might want to call it the kingdom of God, is essentially God in his world that he made, making himself known, and then people responding to that. Jesus comes and makes God known, and then people respond to that. But it didn't really like begin, I mean, I know Jesus is the start of all things, but... 
It doesn't start with his earthly ministry when we go all the way back to the very beginning. God made Adam and Eve and he made himself known to them. And so they worshiped him. They thanked him for this incredible place that they were given and ah, for the breath in their lungs because they were just once dust. And now they're alive. This is a story of the Bible. I was reminded in our Acts study that we're going on Wednesday night, Mac was just sharing with us, that the mission of God simply understood is the fact that he consistently makes himself known. Here's who I am. This is the truth about me. Despite lies and deceit, despite sin and opposition, I will, my unstoppable mission, make myself known and there will always be people who will respond to the truth about me. And you and I here this morning are proof to that. So our text is Acts chapter 5. Drew read it beginning in verse 12 and kind of walking through. And as I said, in, in, in a very, very clear, succinct form, what we actually see in the book of Acts is the disciples giving witness, bearing testimony to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ accomplished. Our last verse of our text, and they were in the temple, and they were house to house on a regular basis. Every day they were making it known that the Christ, that the Messiah was in fact Jesus. So that people would know the truth about God. Know the truth about God's plan and activity in the world. So that they would know exactly how to respond to him. That's what the disciples are doing. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1 where we kind of get a sense of how this mission continues on. And to maybe even have a clearer picture of what our part in it is. That so often we can actually believe or even feel the weight that... Somehow we have been given this incredible responsibility on behalf of God to make sure things work. And yet when we go back and we read the text, what we actually find consistently is that God has given us a role to do. God has given us a task, a responsibility, but what is that responsibility? And we see in one of the most pivotal verses in the entire book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Should be one. I hope that you either have it memorized or underlined because we just keep coming back to this because it sets the tone. It sets the direction for the entire book of Acts. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says this, you will receive power because you're gonna need it because your mission and your ministry is going to demand it. I'm not asking you to go on your own personality. I'm not asking you to go by your own giftedness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Like that's what you're going to be. Notice the the possessive nature of this. It's not you will be people who will do great things. It's you are going to be my witnesses. Like you're going to bear witness to me and what I am ultimately about. What we're going to see as this text unfolds, and it's been happening throughout the book of Acts, is that there is this natural opposition, not to what the disciples are doing in their community, but in the power behind what they are doing in their community. Their opposition is just deeply offended on the fact that 
They are witnesses to Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ makes it very clear. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to bear witness to me. And this is the fundamental identity and the fundamental purpose at the very core. It explains our mission that we bear witness to who Jesus Christ is. And then, by the way, location fits. So where do we do that? And the answer in the text is, well, I mean, we're in Jerusalem right now. It's like Jesus is saying, so we'll start here. And then after we're done in Jerusalem, there will be opportunities for us to go to Judea and then Samaria and then finally to the end of the earth. In essence, it's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, that you will go and you will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you'll teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. There is this purpose that we have to make God known, the truth about God. That's why our witness matters. The truth about God, that's why our ministry matters. So that God might be known and then worshiped for who he truly is. Now what we see is that not only is there this incredible opportunity that the disciples are going to have to be connected to the, to the mission of God, but there are times, as we're going to see in our text, where they need to be reminded of this. It's actually good for there to be uh, moments in time where life happens, where circumstances can get ahead of us. When we look at the book of Acts, as we kind of walk through this section by section by section, what we actually see is the church just being the church, doing what the church does well. In Acts chapter 4, the church recognized a need and they began to care for the needs of the people around them. In Acts chapter 5, the church recognized that there was a need to confront sin, and God miraculously, in a supernatural way, confronts sin. Both instances caused the people to stand back, to be amazed, and Luke repeatedly uses this phrase, and more are joining, and multitudes are coming. The Lord is adding to their number daily. What is the church doing? This is what I love about it. It's just being the church. If there's one thing I'm getting from this lesson is that the church in every and all circumstances is just the church and God is the one who strengthens it and God is the one it's really about. And so here's the church being witnesses and and, and then we're going to see that there's going to be yet once again some opposition That every time people decide that they want to speak about Jesus, they want to talk about his name, they want to talk about his plan, they want to talk about his purpose, that there are people that always get upset. And so in our text, if you look down at verse 20, we actually see that the religious leaders who are deeply concerned about the message that is being preached, take them. Notice they put them in a public prison so everybody knows in terms of there is opposition and everybody even realizes there's going to be a cost in terms of what is happening and and here you have in this instance an angel of the Lord a messenger from the Lord comes removes them from that prison and then gives them some instruction and what does it say look at verse 20 go they've been told that before go and stand In the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. See, that's the mission of God. 
is that in all of these circumstances, they continually respond to what God tells them to do. And here, an angel of the Lord comes and says, listen, there's been some obvious opposition, but I'm going to set you free from prison, and I'm going to send you back to do what you've always been doing. I'm going to send you back to continue to do what got you here in the first place. And that is to stand. That's kind of an interesting word in the Bible. I mean, you might just go, well, aren't they just standing? Well, sure, obviously it takes something. They're not getting chairs and sitting. But, but Paul, the apostle, others constantly use this as a way of describing what it is like for witnesses of Jesus Christ who are faithfully pursuing what God has called them to do. And they stand. They, they stand for who Jesus Christ is. They stand for their mission that Jesus Christ has given them. I want you to go and I want you to stand. And I, I know what that's like because whenever I face opposition, I want to run. When I face opposition, I want to hide. When I face opposition, I'll, I'll just, can I just take a back seat? No, I want you to go and I want you to stand and, and then I want you to speak to the people. All the words of this life. Really kind of an interesting phrase. There's a couple of, of, uh, of, of neat descriptions of, of Jesus and who he is and of what this early movement in the book of Acts is described as. The church is known as the people of the way. It's describing that to be a follower of Jesus Christ means to adopt a different lifestyle. Jesus in the book of Acts is already called the author of life. The author of life. And the angel says, I want you to go and I want you to stand and I want you to speak about all of this life. Essentially sending them back to where they were when they were faithfully following what Jesus called them to do. And what they have to wrestle with now is how do we deal with what Jesus Christ has asked us to do in the midst of opposition? Opposition is hard to deal with, especially when you're out to do something that you believe is good. I'm just out here trying to make a difference. I'm just out here trying to help people or benefit people. That's all I'm trying to do. Why is there opposition? But it just seems like in all areas of life, there are not only those who want to cheer and support, but there seem to be those that want to undo, that want to unravel that want to fight against, not, not just the things of life, but actually the things of God. Before you think this is somehow not normal, I would argue that a story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, is actually a story, a big story, that has, kind of as its basic understanding, that there is going to be those that are trying to undo everything that you're doing. That when you decide to stand in front of family and friends and just claim, I will love you to the end of my days. I don't know if they have a club trying to undo my marriage, but sure does feel like it sometimes. And again, kind of the most powerful metaphors in life. And when, I, when I'm, I'm trying to raise my children, why does it seem like culture is against us, Andrea? Why does it feel like everything that we're trying to do and then we send him out into the world and it's just undoing everything we're trying to do. Last Sunday, 
We had a baptism before first service. We had a baptism before second service. And then after second service, we had three more people give their lives to Christ. It was beautiful. I just couldn't help but think. Like back in there, like in the baptistry, has got to be the safest place in the world. I know you might say it's dangerous, right? Because it's about death. Yeah, but it's about new life. And um, I've never had anybody, you know, start looking at porn in the baptistry. I've never had anybody, literally in the baptistry, start undoing their relationships. I've never had, like, in the baptistry, people planning or setting, it seems like when they get out, right? It seems like as they step out. I had a friend of mine who, who said to me in my ordination, you've heard us, we use this phrase, that you, when you step, as you step out of the baptistry, you step into the ministry. But also, like, when you step out of the baptistry, you really step into this world that seems to, by its nature, right, by its fallen or broken nature, seems to be undoing or opposing everything that we're trying to do. Just, it's so frustrating. What I find interesting about this text is, is that the disciples don't seem to be surprised by this. They don't seem to be undone by this. They don't seem to start complaining. You know, we should quit and start doing something that people can appreciate. No. That's why it's so important that Jesus draws them to his own life and says, look at me, look at how people respond to me, look at what people do to me, because then you'll know what will happen to you. So the disciples, as they are going through life, being the hands and feet of Jesus, caring for those in need, healing the sick, signs and wonders being done through them, and then as they begin to proclaim the power, the life-giving power, all that is about this life, the life-giving power of Jesus, then all of a sudden they, they hit, it's, it's, it's not even like a speed bump, but they hit this opposition, and they go, yeah, we were expecting this. Like we knew this would come. In our text, look at Acts chapter 5, look at verse 28. This is what happens when, when people decide that they don't like what you're about. And really, um, it, is, it is so important that you and I understand and appreciate the fact that our Savior, his name being Jesus has truly never really been popular. He's truly never been the one that everybody is so excited about. And same is here. Notice what these religious people, these, these ones that have spent their lives trying to know what God is like, and in verse 28 of chapter five, it says this, we strictly charged you, <laughs> Like we've made this clear over and over again. We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Most likely referring back to the previous chapter where they warned them and then they beat them. We have strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. It's almost like the answer to Acts chapter one, verse eight has happened, right? Jerusalem is now filled with the teaching of who Jesus Christ is. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man, that'd be Jesus, this man's blood upon us. 
oh, how soon you forget. Isn't that an interesting statement? Everywhere you go, you talk about Jesus. And when you talk about him, you talk about how we killed him. And it really seems to me that what you're trying to do is make us responsible or us guilty for his death. Think about it. It wasn't that long ago. One thing you will know about people that oppose God, it's like how soon they forget what they say. You can either turn there or let me read it to you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. It's that time where Pilate is dealing with the fact that he wants Jesus to go free. He feels like somehow he is being arm twisted into killing an innocent man. And so Pilate wants to kind of wash his hands of it. And so he literally says, like, I just, I find this man to be completely innocent. And I don't want to be guilty of his blood on my hands if we crucify him. And what did the crowd yell out? Matthew chapter 27, verse 25. This is the crowd. At some level, there's got to be some kind of overlap between the crowd that is confronting the disciples in Acts 5 and the crowd that just a short time before, in this mob mentality, this, this, this attack against Jesus, cried out, His blood be on us and on our children. At that moment, they are so enraged. They are so angry. They have no idea what they're saying. And so they say, yeah, I mean, Pilate, you don't want this guilt? We take it. Gladly, not only us, but upon our children. We think we're doing a good thing here. May this blood be upon us and upon our children it's the, the, the power of making statements and making decisions to oppose God. Listen to this statement. May the blood be upon us and upon our children. Powerful reminder that the decisions that we make for ourselves don't just stay there, do they? They extend generationally, don't they? That's what opposition does. May his blood be on us and on our children. How quickly they forget. Because now they're just complaining. And not just complaining, like they're angry about it. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. People become so enraged. They become so upset. It explains so much of the, the persecution that exists in the world. Right right now, not in America, but in most parts of the world where there is just this, I want to kill you, anger. We see it in the text. Like right in the face of the disciples' opposition. Religious people who are so devoted to the things of God, they think they're doing the right thing. Look at verse 33. And when they heard this, that basically is the, 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 the apostles being rather clear about who they're going to follow, right? You heard it in the text. We're, we're not going to listen to you. You've, you've done this before. You've attacked us before. But truth is, we're going to continue to follow God. And when the opposition heard like, that their threats, that their attacks, that their charges, we charged you strictly. When that, we we beat you. When that does nothing. And when they heard this, they were enraged. 
and they wanted to kill them. Wow, it's literally, it's the, the life of Jesus happening all over again. The words of Jesus really are true. Like if they're going to kill me and I am your teacher, guess what they're going to do to you? Jesus made it very clear. You'll be thrown out of synagogues. There'll be a time where people will do a disservice to you, that they will kill you and claim they're doing it in the name of God. Like this, this is what the mission of God causes in the world around us. What, what are we doing that is so absolutely offensive? We're selling our property and giving it to the poor. Like people are bringing the sick to us and, and we're, we're, we're literally providing healing. Yeah, no, no. None of those things are the problem. It reminds me back in a time in Jesus's life where, where Jesus asks, what good deed are you trying to kill me for? What did they say? It, it's none of the good deeds that you were doing. It's you who are a mere man. See, they got that part wrong. You, a mere man, claim to be God. For that reason, we want to kill you. The same thing is happening here. The mission of God has the people of God constantly making God known by their works of service and their proclamation about Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, particularly the proclamation, people say, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear any more about Jesus I don't want to hear any more about his dying on a cross. I don't want any more guilt put on me. Thank you very much. You want to do some nice things for society? You want to have like a fall festival and hand out candy? No problem. You can do that all day long. No problem with that. But be really careful how you use the name Jesus. He's the dividing rod, isn't he? He's the one that just begins to... Like separate, Jesus said this, separate families, separate communities, separate people that have this common, most people have just this common, we should love one another and care for one another and just be there for each other. And then Jesus comes along and, man, he's like a game changer, isn't he? The disciples are going through, that's what the disciples are wrestling with. So you and I, by looking at this text, I have to learn, like, how do we deal with opposition in the midst of us just trying to, and this is the difference, there's no opposition in going to church. There is tremendous opposition in being the church. See, that makes all the difference. Most of us have figured out how to go to church and then to have a life and really not have much conflict, not have much difficulties. Because why? Because we go to church. Easy. It's when, we, it's when we act like the church, particularly with the words that we say. Isn't it fascinating how culture has kind of taught us to be quiet about Jesus? I mean, in reality, when we, we need to begin by looking at this text. This text was written in a time where people were literally killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. For their confession that Jesus Christ was their Lord and King. And, and by the way, that's, that's not just back then. 
It's happening today. It's always been happening. It might not happen here. It might not happen in your neighborhood. It might not happen in your school, but it happens. And this text reminds us that, sure, there's going to be opposition, but in many instances, that opposition actually results in death. Why in a few moments here we're going to be praying for the church, the persecuted church. But what we actually recognize like in our own lives, what I was deeply wrestling with and convicted with by this particular text is just how simple it has been to somehow quiet or derail us. They didn't even need violence to derail me. I remember getting, probably best, best description, I remember getting teased when I was younger for my faith in Jesus Christ and the life that associated that. I remember, if I'm trying to be exact, I remember like being in high school and being made fun of. But then I learned how to compromise how I live and still go to church so that I could just skate right through. Like, I just, I knew when not to talk. Like, I knew just what exactly to do. To my shame now. I just, I heard, like, I, there's one thing I know how to do, it's kind of recognize how the game is played in life. And I hear us talk about it all the time. I hear this phrase repeatedly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this whatever situation at work or at school, and I'm waiting for an opportunity. Have you ever said that? I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. By the way, I don't ever see that in the book of Acts, do you? I never see that. I never see it in the book of Acts. Well, let's just pray for an opportunity to share. Um, it seems like in the Bible, opportunities are called being awake right? It really does. It seems like those seem to be the opportunities. I woke up and then I, it was, that was my opportunity was I was asleep and then the rest of, my, the rest of my time when I'm not sleeping is called opportunity. Seems to be. Now by the way, the different kinds of opportunities but honestly, I, I really do. I wonder and I'm, I'm willing to throw myself I'm willing to confess to you those times that I have failed. By adjusting what I say and by adjusting what I do, that I can have everything that I want and not really have much of a cost. What what Peter demonstrates, and he's kind of the spokesman for this, I love this statement here. Um, look, jump in at verse 29 of Acts 5. Listen to what happens. So there are these threats against him. And truthfully, like you really don't need to threaten me with violence because, um, well, at times in my life, I just haven't been that committed anyway. You don't have to threaten me with violence. Just threaten my reputation. Just make it uncomfortable for me. Look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our Father, and then you can say, hey, by the way, while I'm here, I got a sermon for you. Isn't that amazing? We don't want you to talk about the name anymore. Are you done? Um, actually, we're not done. So number one, we're not gonna listen to you, we're gonna listen to God. And while I'm here, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed 
Can you believe this is like his answer to their question? We don't want you going anywhere telling anything. Actually, I found, look at, look at Peter. Hey, I've got an opportunity. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are, there it is again, witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I'm, I'm not gonna shut up. I'm not gonna quit talking. I'm not gonna quit living. I'm not gonna derail my faith. I'm not gonna wait for an opportunity. I'm going to boldly continue this life of devotion that I've had to Jesus Christ. Isn't that just like encouraging? And what I mean by that, like, doesn't that build courage in you? Does me. We must obey God rather than men. So what happens? They're, they're ready to, they're really, they're, they're ready to kill him. And, and finally, Gamaliel, who, by the way, would have been Paul's teacher, he, he stands up and he says, listen, like there have been lots of people that have acted like Jesus. And he gives two examples. And whenever those leaders are killed, they seem to just fade away. So let's be careful what we're doing here, guys, because we know that God, I mean, it seems like Emilio has a really good understanding about how God works and how he sends people, and there's always opposition to the prophets. So Emilio says, we got to be really careful about this. Let them go, because we may find ourselves opposing God. This is how they responded, verse 30, end verse 39. And so they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Literally word that sometimes translated flogged, but it's not the Roman kind of flogging, but it's a severe beating. It's what the, it's, it's, it's what the, um, uh, the temple guards did to Jesus before the Romans got a hold of them. Like, it's a pretty severe beating. They beat them, and then they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. For those of you that maybe, like, missed a week, you might go, didn't Jim already preach this sermon? Yeah, it's called Acts 4 but this is Acts 5. But don't worry, come back because you'll see it again in Acts 7. And you'll see it again, like literally in Acts 14 and in Acts 13. You'll see it again in Acts 16. Like you'll see it over and over and over and over again. People opposed to the teaching of who Jesus Christ is. Christians boldly saying, I must obey God rather than people. And here's how they leave. So they left the presence of the council, yet once again rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, those are called opportunities, every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ or the Messiah was in fact Jesus. Is that not a great story? The unstoppable mission of God will have opponents and those opponents, when they do that, they will recognize this isn't a surprise, this isn't a mistake, maybe we're getting something right. And then they don't like, here's what's interesting, like the disciples don't seem to like hunker down and like get angry and become belligerent. They, they respond. They look to Jesus, their savior, and they respond like he did. And they stay on task. That's what they do. 
I couldn't help but think, literally, as we have an opportunity to live out this text in some way, to be honest, that what we're going through right now is not what a lot of Christians are going through in India. It's not what a lot of Christians are going through in Indonesia. It's just not. I've had people say to me at times, you're very like passionate and you're just, you're very outspoken. And I just couldn't help but think that one of the biggest reasons why is because when I was in about grades 10 and 11, I played the part of a coward who decided to alter my behavior and my speech. And I just couldn't help but think that if I had the opportunity again, I wasn't going to do that. And I'm in good company because Peter probably felt that way. If I had the opportunity again, are you you waiting for an opportunity? Have you looked back at your life where there has been difficulty that's come and then your opportunity and you shrunk back? Well, the good news is, Jesus Christ has given you another opportunity not to be belligerent, not to be angry, not to go argue with someone, but to simply bear witness to who Jesus Christ is. That is the unstoppable mission of God. 